Oh, good. PEDs again. We'll ask BaseballHQ.com founder Ron Chandler about the biogenesis scandal, his own future plans away from Baseball HQ, and player facts and flukes next on Baseball HQ Radio. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now. And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt. And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for the week of June the 7th, show number 21 of the 2013 fantasy baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and in addition to BaseballHQ.com founder Ron Chandler, we'll have our regular contributors from the best fantasy baseball website in the business. We'll open with player news from the National League with Harold Nichols and from the American League with columnist Jock Thompson. In our Minor League Minute, Rob Gordon looks at Detroit outfield prospect Nick Castellanos. In our HQ matchup segment, BaseballHQ.com analyst Ryan Bloomfield looks at Annabelle Sanchez coming up against Cleveland and Clayton Richard at Coors Field. And in Master Notes, BaseballHQ.com writer and director of games analysis Dave Adler talks about sticking with the Roto 500 format. It's another big show. Thanks for joining us here at Baseball HQ Radio. Kyle Seeger of the Mariners made some major league history. What do you say? We gotta talk some baseball. Yes, last Wednesday, Seattle and the Chicago White Sox were tied nothing-nothing through the first 13 innings of their getaway game at Safeco Field. In the top of the 14th, the White Sox scored five runs to salt away the game. Or so it seemed. In the bottom of the 14th, the Mariners roared back and tied it with five of their own, including a two-out, two-strike grand slam by Kyle Seeger. ESPN reported that the Elias Sports Bureau said Seeger was the first player in Major League history to hit a game-tying grand slam in extra innings. Elias also said the game itself was one for the history books, the first time each team scored five or more runs in a game that had been scoreless through nine. Seeger's slam, ESPN added, was all the more unlikely as he had no home runs in 17 previous Grand Slam opportunities and had never hit any kind of home run in 23 career extra inning at-bats. It was all for naught, of course. The White Sox scored another run in the top of the 16th to end five hours and 42 minutes of baseball. We can't promise you quite that much baseball goodness here at Baseball HQ Radio, but we do have a full show, and we start with the first inning of our show, our League Watch News reports. Jock Thompson is on deck with players from the American League, and leading off, it's the National League report and our old friend Harold Nichols. Nick, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Good to be here. I have a hunch on this week's show, Nick, we're going to be talking a fair amount about the biogenesis PED uh, semi-scandal that seems to have erupted again. Uh, the Major League Baseball and Commissioner Seelig seem to be bound and determined to get after players for using PEDs, whether or not there's process or anything, but we'll see how all that works out. In the meantime, uh, Ryan Braun turned up, somewhat coincidentally, in uh, a Facts and Flukes column earlier this week at BaseballHQ.com. He did indeed. You know, Ryan Braun is not having the kind of season that we would expect from him, given a first-round pick or maybe a number one pick overall in the draft. So, you know, we have to look at what's what's wrong with Ryan Braun. And there are really a couple of things going on that are preventing him from having the kind of season that he's had the past two years. 
One is his contact rate is down. He's 76% contact rate was at 83% two years ago, so striking out a bit more. And the other thing that's happening to him right now at this point is his ground ball rate is up. 51% ground ball rate compared to 42% two years ago. Uh, and, and actually a third thing, he's running less frequently. Uh, 23% stolen base opportunity uh, two years ago, 14% this year, and not being very successful when he does run. So several things going on with Ryan Braun. He's not having a bad season. If you look at it overall, he's on pace for a 325-100 season, which certainly is okay, but uh, not the kind of thing you expect out of Ryan Braun if you made him your number one pick in the draft or even a first-round pick. So uh, those there's some things that need to get corrected, and certainly he's capable of correcting them if he's going to get back to the level he was at, uh, say, a year ago or two years ago. But my guess is looking at that SBO and the uh, the success rate in stealing bases, the stolen bases are likely gone. Those are probably not coming back at any kind of a great rate. Uh, certainly his power could come back a bit, uh, and, and B.A. might, in fact, uh, bounce back up just a tad. Well, we had to kind of expect that the uh, stolen bases would be off uh, last year. He had more at-bats than he did in 2011, but half the stolen bases, 33, uh, 33 bags in 2011, and then 16 bags last year, so that cut in half, and now he's down, as you said, to three stolen bases this year on on a pace to pick up about, what, 10 total or something like that, and this guy's 30 years old, but Ryan Braun's no spring chicken, and, and speed and stolen bases tend to decline with age. They do indeed, so so that's something we, we, we should have expected. If we didn't, then we weren't... Uh... We weren't looking in the right direction. And stolen bases make up a pretty good chunk of his value as a player. Of course, everybody likes the home runs, but there are other players who will hit in the 30s for home runs. What really drove his value was the combination of home runs and speed. And if that speed component is gone, then he's definitely not in the absolute top tier of fantasy choices anymore. Absolutely. I mean, you know, you find other guys who can hit 325-100. That, that's, a, that's a great pace. But there are other guys who can do that. That doesn't make him necessarily a first-round pick anymore. And, of course, hanging over it all is the biogenesis situation. Ryan Braun's name very prominent in that. And by some accounts, he faces a 100-game suspension, uh, 50 for using the substances in the first place, 50 more for being less than candid with Major League Baseball talking about it when they brought it up earlier. And uh, if he goes, then your team might be shot. Certainly, very definitely. I mean, if he was your top choice and you expected all your offense from him, then uh, he, he might be, you know, you might be done if he goes. But the other question is how long is all this going to take? It's going to take two to three weeks, I think, for Major League Baseball to hand down any suspensions. And then after that, the appeal process. Braun's last appeal took four and a half months. Of course, there were all kinds of questions surrounding that, so the appeal might be done more quickly. But there, there are all kinds of issues. If there are 20 players involved here and they've got 20 appeals to hear, uh, do they start start suspensions before they've heard all 20 of them? Uh, I think there are probably other legal issues involved. Uh, you know, you've got a guy who says, yeah, he used uh, he got PEDs from me, but he's never tested positive for them. So uh, at least not in a what, what's considered a, uh, uh, a a test that was accepted by the arbit by the arbitration process. So you know what? Uh, a lot of questions I think surrounding this entire process at the moment. And I'll be talking about the biogenesis situation with pretty much everybody on the show today, Ron Chandler, Todd Zola, and Jock Thompson's National League News Watch in just a couple of minutes. Nick, Dan Becker of BaseballHQ.com, batting buyer's guide columnist, wrote up an interesting column about it's the wisdom of drafting or acquiring players who play on good offenses. And one of the names that came up was Todd Frazier, the third baseman in Cincinnati. Yeah, Todd Frazier simply not having the kind of year he had a year ago. And so the result has been a lot of guys are dropping him in various leagues. And 
Uh, you know, Todd Frazier started out very, very strongly in, in April, hit uh, six home runs, even though about a 240 BA, and then no home runs in May. BA dropped out to 220, and the result has been he's getting dumped in a lot of places. And uh, you know what what Dan Becker said, and something to take a look at is Todd Frazier likely to heat up again. In fact, he's already heating up in, in June. He's hitting 500 so far for the month of June, although no home runs. So you know, uh, he's a guy that's worth looking at, and maybe a guy worth picking up. Uh, if he gets dropped in the league, because there's some talent there, uh, certainly, and and he may not hit, uh, you know, may not hit 300, or may not hit anywhere near what he did uh, last season. Uh, maybe a lower BA, but I think the home runs are going to come back, and uh, certainly, if he's dropped in your league, someone worth considering. He's never been a high batting average component guy's uh, contact rate all three years under 80% this year, all the way down to 73, which is a concern. He has maintained a 32% hit rate. <clears throat> He has maintained a 32% hit rate last year in this, which which helps. But, gosh, a two fifty eight batting average currently seems ab- about right. Uh, the expected batting average is around two forty one. Um, maybe he's getting a little lucky on the hit rate. But overall, uh, last year's two seventy three seems a bit of a mirage, doesn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think last year's BA is a little bit high given, uh, given the skills we're seeing with Todd Frazier. So uh, I think you're right that uh, the two fifty eight may be about right. Uh, the six home runs may be just a tad low for what we we overall expect. But uh, you know, as I said, if he's a guy who's dropped in your league, he's certainly worth looking at. Speaking of guys who are worth looking at, uh, Stephen Nickrand, our fine starting pitcher buyer's guide columnist, most recent column is about base performance value leaders for the month of May. And th- these are interesting because they show pitchers month by month rather than on a cumulative season-long basis. A lot of interesting names on in this column, uh, Nick, and one of them, the Mets' Dylan G. Yeah, Dylan G. You know, started off. Uh, Dylan G. was on our kind of preseason watch list. Uh, looked like he might might do pretty well, uh, and then struggled uh, very very badly in in April. Five point nine six ERA. Undoubtedly got dropped in a lot of leagues, and then wasn't much better in May. Five point four six ERA in May. But uh, as as Stephen Nickron pointed out, uh, Dylan G. is not didn't pitch that poorly in May. One twenty six BPV, uh, excellent dominance, uh, good control. Uh, almost a 50% ground ball rate for the month, a 3.53 XERA for the month of May. So a guy that's worth uh, worth buying low on, I think, at this point, because uh, the skills are there for a much better performance than we're than we're currently seeing. Um, and in fact, the last two starts of Dylan G have been uh, uh, have been excellent. So I, I think that uh, Dylan G is a guy if he's if he's on the waiver wire in your league, certainly worth looking at right now. Fastball velocity also up a tick at about 1.4 miles an hour between April and May, so that's a step in the right direction as well. And finally, uh, Doug Dennis had a column recently at BaseballHQ.com where he looked at uh, bullpens where there were profit possibilities, and one of the names that popped up there, and this is interesting, Justin Wilson in Pittsburgh. Yeah, Justin Wilson is pitching very, very well in Pittsburgh this season. I, you know, there's a guy that uh, a guy who really only became a a, went to the bullpen, kind of the mid. If you look at his minor league record, not so good. They were trying, he was trying, working as a starter, uh, didn't do so well. But after conversion to the pen, a 1.93 ERA last season, uh, this season a 1.29 ERA, 0.86 whip, uh, showing excellent skills across the board. Uh, and at this point, has five vulture wins. As, as Doug Dennis pointed out, not likely to continue that kind of pace in terms of vulture wins, but the skills will continue. The strikeouts will continue. Uh, the excellent control is likely to continue. So there's a place for a reliever who's not, not getting saves uh, in your league. 
What interests me there, besides the skills and the obvious uh, very low expected ERA for Wilson, uh, just around three, and he's got the outstanding uh, dominance rate, as you mentioned, I like the idea that there's vulture wins here. I know that you can't predict them, and I know that they're a bit of a crapshoot even if you have a record. But that record does mean something, Nick, to me, and and what it means to me is Pittsburgh is putting this guy in in situations to get vulture wins, and he's pitching well enough that he's holding the line and giving himself a chance to get those vulture wins. You can't overlook those those two things in combination. Very definitely, and, and good quips to go along with that. All right, Nick, thanks very much for talking with us. We'll catch up with you again in a week's time. Thanks a lot, Patrick. Harold Nichols writes the National League Central Division Outlook for BaseballHQ.com and is our reporter on the National League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now let's turn over to the American League and BaseballHQ.com Director of News and Analysis, Jock Thompson. Jock, welcome back to the show. Hi, PD. Good to be back. I asked Harold Nichols about this in our National League News Watch, so I'd like to get your take on it as well. The big story, of course, biogenesis and the PED investigation. Baseball's back at this. And the breaking story that baseball plans to perhaps go after and even suspend players who are involved with this biogenesis business. There are some interesting American League names for fantasy owners. And in the American League West in particular, Texas outfielder Nelson Cruz. And I think his name has popped up before in this regard. And Oakland starting pitcher Bartolo Colon, who already served a 50-game PED suspension last year. The American League West is your beat, Jock, so what do you make of all this? Well, I, I think, guys, as, as you know, PD, um, none of us can, can, can determine the timing of this. Attorneys and legal proceedings have a way of keeping these things tied up. It may never happen this year. But when you have teams like the Rangers and Oakland, they have to be prepared for anything because they're in contention for the postseason. So I think they're going to make uh, plans and obviously, Jurickson Profar is the name that comes up in Texas because they're trying to figure out a way to get his bat into the lineup and, and keep it there. Um, earlier this year, they asked uh, Ian Kinsler if he would consider moving from first base to the outfield, and he declined. I think that may happen again. Uh, I, I see Texas uh, keeping Profar's bat in the majors or trying to because they need him to be ready come October in case uh, something happens to Cruz. Oakland is a little different in that uh, you've got the often-injured Brett Anderson still on the DL, and he could slide into any opening vacated by Cologne. But one new name I really like like in Oakland as, as a starting pitcher to keep an eye on is Sonny Gray. You know, this was a guy who uh, uh, was the was in the first he was a first-round draft pick back in 2011. They tried to overhaul his mechanics in in 2012, and he didn't respond real well. But he's just tearing it up right now in the in the Pacific Coast League. Um, he's he's putting up a, a two-to-one ground ball fly ball rate. He's given up one home run all year in 60 innings pitched. And, and this is just in his last three games. Over 20 innings, he has a 27-to-one strikeout-to-walk rate while allowing only five runs. This is all in the Pacific Coast League. So this is a guy I expect to see a stray start sometime uh, between now and the, and just after the All-Star break just so Oakland can see what they have, because he's probably going to be a big factor if Cologne is suspended. One home run, and then he moves to that nice big park in Oakland. He may never give up a home run if he gets to the major leagues. Uh, I'll be talking with Ron Chandler and Todd Zola about the biogenesis issue a little later in the show. A jock, Dave Adler at BaseballHQ.com, had a facts and flukes column in which he noted the surprising, to some, resurgence of Detroit starter Rick Porcello. What do you think? 
Yeah, Porcello was one of those spring training surgers that at least uh, a few other people, including me, liked, liked this past March. And it really looks like he's putting things together. Uh, if you look at his strikeout rate compared to last year, uh, his dominance, it's up by over two, and particularly recently in May. Um, Dave noted actually something pretty smart. Uh, uh, he's uh, throwing his sinker less, 54% in 2012, now only 41% in 2013. He's using his curveball. He's getting more strikeouts, uh, a few less ground balls simply because um, uh, the, or, uh, he, he, I think he's using his sinker more probably uh, knowing that the Tiger defense isn't all that good. Uh, and he's really focusing on the strikeouts, and I think it's helping him. It's interesting that a guy can just decide to get more strikeouts and then do it. It makes you wonder why he wasn't doing it all along. Yeah, it's kind of a repertoire thing. I think they fall in love with certain pitches and, and certain ways of doing things, and it's really tough to break those habits. Staying with starting pitching, uh, Matt Gelfand's Facts and Flukes column at BaseballHQ.com looked at another American League pitcher having a resurgence, John Lackey of Boston, a former Angel. What do you think of John Lackey's uh, surprisingly strong performance so far? It's interesting because the last two seasons I watched Lackey here in SoCal, which was in two, were in 2008 and 2009, he missed all of April and the better part of May in both of them with elbow issues, which continued in his first couple seasons with Boston and really makes you wonder how long some of these injuries take to play out because he had Tommy John surgery in October 2011, missed all of last year, and now you look at his numbers and his strikeout rate hasn't is up to where it was in 2005. He's averaging... 8.7 strikeouts per nine innings. His control is terrific. Uh, you look at his, his BPIs, his, his expected ERA is 3.23. Uh, I'll tell you what, the advice early on in the season was to speculate on Lackey, and those that did are doing real well. And I guess from the way you describe it, you think he can keep this up. Yeah, I mean, I don't see why not. I mean, I mean, the real key with him is his durability. How will he, how will he handle uh, July and August uh, come this season after being out for a full year? But uh, right now, I, I don't see any red flags other than that. And one more starting pitcher I'd like to talk about, Corey Kluber of the Cleveland Indians. Uh, Stephen Nickran, starting pitcher's buyer's guide column at BaseballHQ.com, talked about May base performance value leaders, and Corey Kluber's name was among them, and that was something of a surprise. He's got a 5.15 ERA for the month, which is probably keeping a lot of fantasy owners from taking him seriously, but should we be taking him seriously? Kluber is an interesting guy. I got to watch him pitch in his last start against the Yankees, and I saw him give up two home runs and strike out seven hitters over over six plus innings. And this is Kluber in a nutshell. His uh, his uh, home run to fly ball rate is a little elevated at sixteen percent. Um, his his home runs per nine innings is uh, is one point three. He's a guy who doesn't have a lot of off-speed pitches, but he has overpowering stuff. The problem he has is that hitters are, are sitting on the hard stuff, and if he ever misses, they can drive it. But if you're in a strikeout league, uh, this is a guy who um, his, his, he's averaging almost 10 strikeouts per nine innings. So um, he's somebody that I like, and if you can stream him against bad teams, he's going to put up some real good starts for you. Jock, New York Yankees are getting their lineup back, finally. Chris Olson covers the American League East for BaseballHQ.com, and in his most recent Outlook article, the uh, he points out that the Yankees got Euclid back from the DL, Teixeira came back from the DL and homered right away. I assume that they're going to last the rest of the year, although with uh, with Euclid in particular, you never know. But what does this mean for the cast of stumble bums and also rands that they've been uh, doing surprisingly well with so far? 
You know, this is a real fluid situation for several reasons. First off, the Yankees are 12th in American League runs scored. So for the first time in seemingly forever, they, they have to manufacture offense however they can. And they still need outfield help with Granderson out until the end of June with another hand injury. Now, Ichiro's been putting up some very pedestrian numbers. He's hitting 266 uh, uh, as we speak today. Um, obviously, it's, it's, it's fairly empty. He's slugging 348. He's got a few stolen bases. But all of a sudden, Vernon Wells has been in a 7-for-65 slump uh, without a home run since mid-May. And at the same time, Lyle Overbay continues to hit right-handed pitching pretty well. He's got a 288 batting average and a 530 slugging percentage in his first 132 at-bats. He's now gotten three straight starts through Thursday in right field as both Wells and Ichiro get timeouts. I think the bottom line here is New York's going to ride the hot hands while they try to jumpstart some of their bats. Expect them to play with different configurations that keep their best hitters in the lineup at any given time. And it's really starting to look like Alex Rodriguez might not be part of that whole situation. Yeah, that's a real interesting situation. Obviously, the Yankees aren't thrilled what's going on. It's 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 uh, pointing un, unwanted attention to them, and uh, they're not sure what the fan or the team reaction is going to be. And uh, the Yankees would probably rather succeed without A-Rod at this point in time. I absolutely agree with you, Jock. Thanks very much for talking with us, and we'll catch up with you again next week. Okay, PD. See you then. Jock Thompson is the Director of News and Analysis at BaseballHQ.com and our man on the American League beat here at Baseball HQ Radio. Now it's time for our weekly chat with fantasy baseball expert Todd Zola. Todd, welcome back to the show. Great to be here, Patrick. Uh, has anything happened since we last talked? I've been like under this really big rock. You must have been under a big rock with no Wi-Fi because, uh, of course, th- the news about biogenesis in Miami and the PED scandal reopening, I talked about that earlier in the show as well. And I know we don't want to speculate on what's going to happen because of lawyers and process and what have you, but I'm I am wondering about the fantasy impact of this. Yeah, well, there's a you know there's a couple different layers. Is the the la- the direct layer of the players that have been implicated, you know, the Ryan Brons and and Everett Cabrera, and Nelson Cruz, and then there's the the other the sort of latent uh, way of picking up players that are going to be replacing these guys. If they do happen to get suspended or, or you know something, you know they, they lose playing time or whatever. So there's just two two different ways to look at it. You know, what do I do if I own Ryan Braun, and how can I take advantage of the fact that there could be some players to pick up extra playing time? That raises an interesting question because while this is a bit of an anomaly, uh, we don't usually get uh, huge swaths of players potentially being suspended every year and increasingly in the last couple of years we do see players going on the DL we do see players being benched or sent to the minors for underperformance teams are less patient in a lot of instances and I know you you've been interested in discussing the idea that there's a path to getting some stats for your fantasy team by looking at playing time rather than just at skills right this is something that we talk about in the spring at the first pitch forum tours. And, you know, what you, the idea is, and, and to a certain extent, uh, you folks at HQ use the Mabry method to sort of capture some of this as well. There's several different ways you can go about uh, approaching it. But the idea is a lot of valuation systems, they're just little black boxes where you plug the projection in and it spits out a number or a ranking. But the problem is, it's a static amount of playing time. It doesn't really judge your skills. So there's some players who are highly skilled, but
but for whatever reason, their situation, they're just not projected to get the same playing time as maybe a lesser skilled player that, you know, on a different team, a lesser team is going to get more time. So one of the ways you can, over the course of a season, uh, squeeze more stats and squeeze more points is to look for the guys that at that particular point are playing, whether it's injury, whether it's just they're, they're perceived as being hot or whatever. You know, maybe it's a, a DH, uh, an NL guy DHing in, for a week or something like that. You can squeeze more points out of some fungible roster spots by doing something like that. And now, you know, with the, with steroids, it just prevent, presents a, a larger way to do that. There's going to be more players that are potentially uh, going to have more playing time available to them. Uh, one that comes to mind as an example would be Logan Schaefer, the obvious one over uh, where Brian, you know, Ryan Braun is concerned. Uh, the other, what I do, you guys have maybe, what I do is beginning of the year, I give everybody the same amount of playing time. And then I just sort of run my run my little black box just to see the players that if they got 650 plate appearances, where they would end up, where would they would be ranked. And Logan Schaefer is a guy that he's not going to hit for average, but he's going to get you some counting stats. And if, you know, today's day in an age where the average is a little bit lower anyway, uh, it's not as, as not as damaging. So if you're looking for somebody to get you some steals, mostly steals, but also a little bit of power, Schaefer's a guy that you can sort of put on there, and he could end up with more playing time. The The hot name at the beginning of the year was the other Chris Davis, the one who spells his name with a K. Um, right. I don't know if he's the guy anymore. He's uh, he's struggling a little bit down on the farm, and uh, there's also some talk of having Corey Hart move back to the outfield and putting uh, Juan Francisco. See, Francisco's another guy, another one of these playing time guys, whose skills are pretty good, but he was in a platoon, at least until Corey Hart's back, and maybe after. He's going to be playing some pretty regular first base. So Francisco's another guy that, if you plug him into a system, he's going to be ranked, really, he's going to be off the off the charts negative. But for the next three weeks, he could be, you know, a, a viable option even in mixed leagues. So that, that's the sort of thing you need to look for. You just can't sort by dollar value. And, and, and try to find your replacements that way. You need to see who's actually playing to get your, uh, you know, Francisco, for instance. You could have some fun in Miller Park. So to, to encapsulate all of that, you're basically trying to identify guys who are blocked and whose blockage might be getting out of their way temporarily and or guys who are just coming into playing time for other reasons. Sure, and, you know, Nelson Cruz is another. Actually, I get a kick out of all the people that are, you know, saying, oh, what happens if Nelson Cruz is suspended? Well, I mean, is, is he, you know, what happens if he's, isn't he an injury risk? Doesn't, doesn't he have the same uh, risk anyway associated with him? So it's, you know, it's 50 games here. It's, it's you know, it's get, pulling a hamstring and losing 50 games there. So hopefully if you own Cruz, you're prepared either way. But, you know, that could open up with Cruz. It could, it could take the platoon away from Gentry uh, and, and make him a full-time player. Murphy could get a few more at-bats. It could mean that Someone like Olt gets called up and, uh, you know, Profar, they may move stuff around. So there's a lot of moving parts in Texas. And now's the time, you know, if you have a reserve spot to try to, you know, strike. Although, you know, we don't, again, we don't want to speculate how, you know, that, how long it could take. But, you know, it, could, it probably will take more than, a, you know, a week or two. So you may not have to jump right away. But you do want to sort of get ahead of the game and pick up some of these players so that when, it is announced and someone goes to the free agent list, 
you know, they uh, they curse you because you already have the player on your team. And, of course, that depends on your league rules. A lot of leagues, Towers, for instance, don't let you draft straight to your reserve, so you'd have to carry the guy for a week active before you could reserve. And a lot of leagues don't have reserve lists at all, so you'd have to carry him as active, and you have to factor all that kind of stuff in. Uh, Todd, doesn't this whole thing kind of bring back the topic of risk and add into it a kind of a new dimension? Uh, last year, Ryan Braun slipped down the, the uh, draft list from – top three kind of pick to third round kind of pick because he was facing PED allegations in the preseasons of 2012. And I'm not saying that we should have seen this coming in preseason of 2013, but he was mentioned again in this, in this uh, Miami business, even before the season. So to a certain extent, don't you have to kind of accept the risk that you take on in, in rostering a guy like that, as opposed to if you say did not draft Miguel Cabrera, maybe you wish you had. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's part of the, you know, what I'm, you know, hearing now. And, you know, we both, we answer questions, we read forums and stuff. And, you know, I, you know, I own Ryan Braun, you know, what am I, oh, I'm a victim. What am I supposed to do? Well, you know what? You made the decision. I made a decision in the NFBC to draft Ryan Braun number two overall. I'm not regretting it. I, I felt that was my best chance to uh path to victory. And I'm, you know, I'm li- if he gets suspended and I end up out of the money or out of the, you know, the running because of it, it's my own fault. I'm not a victim. It was my decision. You know, having said that, you know, we still are in the business of, of helping manage teams. So the best advice I can give if you own Ryan Braun is to pretend he's Cargo or, or Tulo or, or Longo or any other star player ending in O. And, you know, how would you treat an injury-prone star? Would you trade him right now? Do you know, do you get, you know, Cargo is on fire. Do you do you accept the stats you have and trade him because of an injury risk, or do you ride him? Same with Tulo. I mean, I guys, you know, earlier in the week, these guys just between the two of them had a great season. Um, you know, so to me, you kind of juxtapose them into Ryan Braun, and if you're you know the kind of guy that wants to sell, get the profit and run and, and get a more stable player, do that with Braun. If you ride him out, do that with Braun. And, you know, to a lesser extent, Everett Cabrera and all these other guys that have been named as well. But, you know, going back to the beginning of the year, you know, yeah, I think that we, um, I think that we do, you know, we've, we've talked about this. I took Prince Fielder very high in some drafts over some more risky player, riskier players, because I felt he was a little bit safer. You know, the Robinson Canoes and the Miguel Cabreras, it might not, you know, in our little black box, it might not be reflected in that dollar value of that ranking. But at the draft table, that's a difference between a draft list and a, and, and a price list. I did want to ask you about Everett Cabrera, but I guess maybe that's beside the point. We knew he was going to steal bases. A little bit of power he's been showing, but now that's obviously suspect. Yeah, you know, we talked last week about some players that you know to talk about in future weeks. And as I mentioned, uh, I've been turned on to Everett Cabrera and his power. Part of what I do is I, I kind of I, I QA. Uh, clips that 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 MLB MLB AM uh, puts on their social media, and over the past couple of weeks, I've I've noticed how many Everett Cabrera doubles and homers have come over to to, to look at. It's like, wow, isn't this the guy that steals? And I was most impressed, not so much impressed, but uh, you know, I, I think of a you know a little a little guy that runs. Not that he's tall, but he's fairly stocky, and took a look into the power numbers. And felt that I wasn't going to come out and say that they're real, but I felt 
that they could be real. He's got twice as many homers than that he has in previous years and that sort of thing. And you know he's going to run, so you know this is more of a bonus than it would be a reason to get him. But yeah, he's been implicated now, so you know, he, you know, coming out and saying Everett Cabrera's power is real, that real turns from you know from real into air quotes with asterisks real. Yeah. So what about pitching? The main point with pitching is always about injuries and streaming and so forth. Uh, how do you? What can you tell us about what you're thinking about that whole issue? Pitching, uh, you know, especially it's it's sort of in the forefront now because within the past few days there have been you know several high profile starters that have hit the DL or missing a start with Strasburg and Cueto and and Wandy and well Beckett's been out a while but you know not that he's pro profile high profile either. Jake Peavy. Jake Peavy is another. And what what this does is it does it is sort of a a direct effect and an indirect effect. Teams that own these players, their stats. I'm talking fantasy teams. Their stats are going to be hurt. Specifically, strikeout totals are going to be hurt. You don't. You may not need as many strikeouts on your team to you know to compete in your league, depending upon the distribution and such. It sort of or it gives you an opening to chase more strikeouts and pass these teams. So on one hand, you might say, geez, you know, they're not going to catch me. I'd rather play it safe and go out and get a safe middle reliever in a deeper league. Or you might say this provides an opening, and if I can cleverly stream some guys, I may be able to catch the Jake Peavy team in strikeouts and Johnny Cueto team in strikeouts because they're going to be missing their guys, you know, for a stretch. Um, last week we – you know, we're we're we got half of it right with Joe Blanton. He still has another start against Boston this week, and we saw what Boston did against uh, uh, in Fenway and scoring you know 17 runs the other night. So you know, we're not completely out of the woods with Blanton, but a guy that uh, I'm looking at as a, as a Blanton type player, it would be Kyle Kendrick uh, of the of the Phillies, who uh, doesn't have the strikeout rate that that Blanton or some of these other guys have. But for the past year, if you look back to the All-Star break last year, he's managed to keep the walks down, keep the ball in the yard. And for me now, he's now a safe bet to stream at home. And we've talked before, remember, I, I like to stream guys at home. And Philadelphia, eh, it's not as bad of a hitter's park as some may perceive, but it's not. it's definitely not a pitcher's park. And I'm now comfortable with someone like Kyle Kendrick on my streaming list when he shows up with a home start. Uh, you know, if he has two of them, you get enough Ks during the week to, to match someone with, you know, just going with Scherzer or something like that. On the flip side of that, Todd, is it a possibility now that an owner who has uh, Johnny Cueto or a Jake Peavy or uh, to start thinking maybe maybe while those guys are injured, I'm just not going to try to replace those strikeouts. I'll load up on middle relievers who are going to provide me some excellent innings, maybe vulture a few wins, and get me some real boost in ERA and whip? Deeper the league, the more viable a play that is. And it's all dependent upon, you know, where you are in the standings and if you can gain points in both ratios, you know, ERA and whip, because it's it's an additive effect in both those categories. Sure, you know, there's there's guys out there, um, uh, the, the Indians, you know, Allen and, and the Indians uh, is a guy that, was sort of in the forefront with uh, as a potential closer that, you know, then it was named Vinny Pistano was going to close. And now with the news about Chris Perez, Allen may be a guy to look at again 
because who knows if Pistano is actually going to hold that job. So you might get a double benefit, you know, in picking up a uh, a nice little closer along with some guy to stabilize your ratios. But sure, that's a, uh, a very viable strategy is to get a middle reliever um, to stabilize the ratios, especially in in daily leagues. You can always put those guys in there to uh, to add up the, the innings to, to to lessen the blow if you do stream a a guy later in the week and he, and he gets blown up a little bit. You have a foundation of solid innings to absorb it. And it's not like some of those relief pitchers uh, will darn near match some of, some of the streaming type starters that, that, that turn up in free agent lists. I mean, um, uh, Vinny Pestano in particular, he gets a, a fair number of strikeouts despite a limited number of innings, and he's not going to be that far behind inning for inning from a guy like, uh, I, I don't know, some some of the lesser starters that we see in the free agent list. Oh, sure. I mean, exactly. I mean, over the course of, especially for, in looking short term, long term, yeah, long term, you know, you, the 50K difference will add up. But if, if you're looking to play it safe while Peavy's out or play it safe while Strasburg's out, yeah, uh, I don't think you'd necessarily have to, oh, no, i got to go out there and you know, pick up, you know, Jeremy Guthrie just because. Right. You know, uh, I think you can pick up Aaron Crow just because and, and play it safe. And if you need to make up the starts later, they'll be there for you. The pitching will be there for you uh, if you need to make up Ks and wins. Well, try to make up wins anyway. It'll be there for you. Uh Hitting might not, but the pitching, there'll, there'll be somebody there. Somebody will be going against Houston, although Houston's on a, on a roll. Someone will be going against San Diego. Some, you know, There's enough poor teams out there that you'll find someone, if you need, to make up that ground. And before I let you go, one of the other things you can do with those good middle relievers is you can, as I said, vulture your wins. In many ways, they're safer and more reliable sources of wins than poor starters who, you know, pitch badly and, and therefore don't get wins, get pulled out of games early and can't get wins and so forth. Have you ever looked at any kind of formula or any uh, any kind of way of calculating what kind of middle reliever you want if you're actively seeking vulture wins? All the time, and I wish I, I, wish I had an answer that this is the kind of guy that you really want. But what I actually, if you, if you look at sort of wins per innings, starters – are more likely to are still more likely to get wins. Yeah, I basically do this every year to try to help me on my projections because to project wins, you know, how do you do? How do you project win? You know, because the oddity is, a closer usually has a, a worse win-loss record than than a regular reliever because he gets a loss when he blows a save. You know, so it's not it's so it's it's sort of it's so hard to predict it. I haven't found the magic formula yet, other than the common sense. Look at the usage patterns. Look at the guys that are brought into the close games and, you know, with a good offense so that you're able to come back late. I, I, I mean, other than I don't know really any systematic way of doing it other than sort of common sense at this at that point, unfortunately. And these things, they go in waves. Uh, we, 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 t- we, we look at the fab every week of the of the expert leagues and, when a when a reliever picks up two wins in a week, he's always picked up. But those might be the only two wins he gets all year. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of funny that way. Talk about uh, hopping, trying to hop on the train after it left the station. Uh, Todd, maybe that's something we need to look at, trying to figure out if there's some kind of, not exactly a mathematical formula, but at least some way of looking at the pool of middle relief pitchers and saying, you know, out of these forty guys, 
that are acceptable on my roster. I'm going to target these three because they look like vulture win guys. Uh, appreciate you taking the time again this week. We'll catch up with you again next week. Looking forward to it. Be in Chicago be at the FSTA. Be good. looking forward to it. And I'll be looking forward to it as well. Thanks very much. That's Todd Zola of MastersBall.com. Also writes at ESPN.com, BaseballHQ.com, and uh, all over the web. Todd Zola. And make sure you look him up because you're going to learn a lot. Our uh, feature interview with Ron Chandler is next. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. That ball hit deep in the left center field. Wise back, back. Makes the catch! What a play! Wise makes the catch! What a play by Wise! Mercy! What a play by Wise! Under the circumstances, one of the greatest catches I have ever seen in 50 years in this game. Alexei! Yes! 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 History! HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. It's a pleasure now to be joined by the Rajah of Roto, the Sultan of Stats, the Pharaoh of Forecasting, the Poobah of Projections, and I'm all out of alliterative descriptions. It's Ron Chandler, the founder of the Baseball Forecaster Annual and BaseballHQ.com. Ron, it's been too long. Welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you. And I absolutely love alliteration, so I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of fun, too. Uh, before we get started, Ron, uh, I wanted to talk briefly with you about biogenesis, this PED scandal, the latest, unfortunately, PED scandal in baseball. And I'm wondering what you thought when the news came out that we have all these players, there's a, a list of 20, I guess, and perhaps as many as 100 uh, players who might be facing suspensions because of their ties to PEDs through the biogenesis uh, clinic in Miami. What, what, what went through your mind? I I am so enjoying this. I think this is great theater. I have to be honest. Um, the fact that uh, Major League Baseball and and uh, the media have been trying to, to feed us this this mindset that this is a problem that can be fixed, I think, is just is bogus and ridiculous. As long as uh, professional athletes have the incentive to protect their paychecks and money can buy laboratories to design designer drugs and masking agents, and the labs always stay ahead of the testers, this problem is never going away. As much as they're going to grab these new 20 players now, and and, uh, maybe they'll be able to suspend them, maybe not. There's a big question about whether that can actually happen. This this is just, you know, another dot in... uh, along the uh, continuum and it's going to go away and it's going to cycle down and then three years from now everybody will be lulled into this false sense of oh it's fixed and there'll be another group of players that'll come out because there'll be new drugs that that people will be using so these athletes it's it's just a part of this the story it's just it's just a media thing and um, I'm just watching it as 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 a spectator like I'm I'm in a theater watching this 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 great comedy play because I think it's hilarious to quite be quite honest well moving it on to the fantasy scene it might seem a little beside the point or a little mercenary or however you want to say it but how should owners be playing the stars whose names have been mentioned and i'm particularly thinking about ryan braun who was probably a, a top five pick in a lot of leagues a 40 dollar plus draft uh, pick in auctions 
What do you do with Ryan Braun thinking that, boy, he could be facing a big suspension? Yeah, well, I mean, it's just like anything else in this game. I mean, you hope for the best, you prepare for the worst. I mean, if, if Braun ran into a wall and broke his leg, he'd be out for 50 games anyway, and we face those types of, of, of risks with players all the time. So, um, you know, we don't know whether this is actually going to happen. There's an appeals process that's probably going to have to go through. Uh, he might not be suspended until <clears throat> after the season is completed. But for now, I just, you know, you sit back and you watch and you, and you uh, prepare, you hope. I don't know if the analogy to he might break his leg running into the wall is is quite 100% because we know that he's now under under suspicion of an activity that could lead to a suspension. We don't know with any certainty that he's going to run into any kind of walls. But don't you wonder if it's a situation where it might depend on where you sit in your league, just as it would if you were going to trade for David Price, say, that if you're trying to protect a first or second place position, maybe you trade him away because you can't afford to take that huge loss. If he is suspended, maybe you take 80 cents on the dollar. And on the contrary, if you're sixth and looking to catch lightning in a bottle, you pay the 70 or 80 cents on the dollar to get Braun, hoping that he's not going to be suspended and you get the benefit. Yeah, and, and certainly you can play tactically that way. And that's, that's actually the type of tactical game that a lot of us play in July when there are the rumors going around about players traded out of a league. And if you're in, in, a, in a league where you lose a player if he gets traded cross leagues, you might want to try to leverage that in the trade and, and, and then try to get 80, 80 cents on the dollar in order to uh, uh, mitigate the risk of, of losing a player completely. And I think it's that type of mindset. And just my two cents worth, I don't think there are going to be any suspensions in the short term. Um, Major League Baseball is going to go before the arbitrator at some point and say, we have this documentary evidence that these guys were taking PEDs, and I assume that the lawyer for, the, for those players is going to say, well, wait a second, you've been bragging for the last three years that your testing regimen is the best in the world. And all these guys passed all their tests. So how could they have been using and, and passing your tests at the same time? And now Major League Baseball is faced with a real Hobson's choice where they have to say either, A, we're wrong about the documents, or B, we were wrong all along about this fantastic testing that we've been claiming we've been doing. Yeah, and I think it, the bottom line is that they're going to be wrong all along about the testing that they've been doing. Because, uh, you know, we know that there are holes in the testing, and, and we, we've heard stories about how players are sometimes given heads up before the testers arrive. So, I mean, there, there are a lot of loopholes there, and, and we're going to find uh, that this thing is not as clean as we thought it was. Yes, I agree, and I think the uh, we, we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg. You mentioned that the chemists and the the, the uh, guys who create these PEDs are always a step ahead of the testers. They have to be because you can't test for something you don't know is out there. And I, and I also wonder at some point when they start tailoring the uh, PEDs to your DNA, whether you know where it's they actually start affecting your at your your at a cellular level how you're put together, then it's undetectable because it's just part of you. And then and then then how do you control it? <laughs> yeah, really, that opens up a whole new can of worms. Interesting. I was talking to my wife the other night, and she said, as far as I'm concerned, she said they should be allowed to use it if they want, and everybody's, everybody would know what's going on, and if you don't want to participate, then don't. No, and I agree with that, actually. You know, it, you know we've, we've determined the state, the, the government has determined what constitute an illegal versus a legal drug, and that line is a very blurry line. It's a really gray area, and I think we need to, to, to maybe establish a whole new paradigm as to what constitutes something that should or should not be used. And, you know, the biggest argument is that these athletes are role models to our children, and we worry that, you know, if they're using drugs, then our kids are going to use drugs. And I think we need to change that whole mindset about 
about athletes being role models. I mean, we parents, teachers, they should be the role models, and athletes are just people doing a job. And we should not be presenting them in such a light that, that our, our, our children are affected by the things that they do. Or at least focusing your children on the positive aspects of being in athletics, the dedication to the sport, the diligence of practice, the willingness to do the hard work, and so forth. And uh, when you're looking for morality models, look to your clergy people or your teachers or what have you. And, you know, a kid, kids need a lot of role models, not just baseball players. It's Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt, with my role model, Ron Chandler of BaseballHQ.com. <laughs> I always like to catch up, Ron, with how the, our guests are doing in their leagues. You are in the FSTA Experts League, Tout Wars American League League, and the XFL. How are your teams doing in those Experts Leagues? Uh, well, kind of a mixed bag. Uh, the FSTA, uh, I'm kind of in the middle of the pack right now. This is one of those leagues that I, I seem to do very well in each year, and even if I start out slowly, I, I'm able to make up ground. Last year in the FSTA, I was in 12th place around the All-Star break, and I finished in, I think, second or third. And, you know, this year I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. I've got Cole Hamels, which has dragged me down. You know, if, when you've got John Papeldon, ha- Papelbon having half as many saves as Jim Johnson, you know, you're, you're not doing well in saves. And, you know, I lost uh, Chase Utley, and I've got Brett Butler underperforming. So, you know, kind of a mixed bag there. Uh, Tout Wars has just been a disaster. <laughs> Um, you know, my, my speed was built on uh, uh, Jackson and Kinsler and Nunez, and they've all been either hurt or underperforming. And uh, yeah. and one of the things I like to do in Tout Wars is to invest a few dollars in the end game on some minor leaguers who might give me some second-half uh, boost. And the two guys who I targeted this year were Dylan Bundy and, and Mike Zanino, and it looks like both of them are, are not going to do uh, all that much for me. So uh, next to last place in Tout Wars right now, and that doesn't look like it's going to work out well. But the XFL, I'm in, I'm in third place, and I like this league because it's, it's the only experts keeper league. Um, this is one of those years that I'm all in. team is doing really well. Uh, uh, some of my long-term keepers I've had for years are guys like Jason Hayward, so it was really nice to see him break out the last few days. Um, but just lost Jake Peavy, so that's going to be a bit of a challenge. But overall, um, I, it's you know a typical year, some good, some bad, and, and you're working hard to make it work. You mentioned having been in 12th spot and moved up all the way to second, in, and I wonder how far back can a team be, especially in a single-league format, and still have a realistic chance of mounting that comeback at this time of the year, say the start of June? You know, it varies. It, it's, it all depends upon how the, the standings are stratified in each of your categories. Uh, I have come back, and I've seen people come back from 40, 50 points back at this point in the season uh, to win even. Uh, there have been uh, leagues I've seen where 30 points back by the end of August was not insurmountable. And I'll always remember uh, Jason Gray in Tout Wars, uh, maybe about five or six years ago, was 10 or 12 points back the last week of the season, and he ended up winning. Um, so it, it really depends upon how the, the standings are stratified, and you just you have to focus on the categories, and, and that's where you make up the ground. So, uh, yeah, I, I think just about any deficit is, is still uh, overcomable at this point. Is it any different depending on the depth of the league? I mentioned a single-league format league, but what about like those medium, shallow leagues, 15-18 team mixed, or even the ESPN format, which is 10-team mixed, or maybe those guys who play 12-team mixed? Because of the availability of free agents, is it easier to make up that ground or harder because everybody has access to them? Uh, I think it's easier because there are just more of them. Uh, you know, When you're in a shallow league, uh, everybody else might be grabbing some of the top free agents, but there, there's always more. 
And uh, I, I think the deeper the free agent pool, the, the more likely it is you can turn things around. So, uh, yeah, the shallower leagues, I think, are easy to, to hang in there and, and not to throw in the towel, even if you're pretty far back. I always wonder about guys like you who have been playing this for a long time and have transformed the game into a, a source of your livelihood. Do you still have fun playing fantasy baseball? I do, but um, I, I guess my personality is I, I kind of get bored playing the same game year after year after year. Uh, when I first started playing fantasy back in the, in the 1980s, uh, one of the things in my home league was that we'd like to tweak the rules every year and try something different. And I, I think I'm still of that mindset. So for me to play straight 5x5 five five all the time uh, kind of gets a little bit boring. So you know, I, I like to, to mix things up a little bit, tweak things. And I think that's, that's why I've always been um, enamored with trying to find new game formats and new ways to play. Because, uh, uh, you know, it's, you want to keep it fresh. You want to keep the challenge fresh. So, uh, yeah, I like to try new things. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt with Ron Chandler from BaseballHQ.com. And, Ron, speaking of trying new things, you have announced that you're stepping back from your operational responsibilities at BaseballHQ.com, and recently uh, you stepped back even further, but you're not vanishing from Baseball HQ. What will you be doing at the site? I'll still be writing, which I think is the, the key reason people will come to visit BaseballHQ.com. So I'll still have my, my weekly fanalytics column. Um, I'll still have my weekly uh, article in, in USA Today, uh, the, uh, the, the daily newspaper, and online. Um, I'll be doing my chats, but not quite as frequently as I had in the past. And, and my master notes here, in fact, uh, I'll be part of a rotation of some of our great uh, uh, Baseball HQ writers rather than doing it myself. Uh, so I'll still be around. I'll, I'll still be writing for the, uh, the Baseball Forecaster. I'll still be participating in the uh, First Pitch Forum conferences. Um, so really the only difference is kind of behind the scenes, and most people won't really notice, and it's just me actually running the business and, and turning it over to uh, Ray Murphy and Brent Hershey, uh, two very, very talented individuals who uh, will, will, will do really well for this entity. And uh, it's great for me because I still get to write, so that's the thing I enjoy the most anyway. You are also embarking on some new adventures. You mentioned your curiosity about game formats, and of course, uh, regular listeners and subscribers to BaseballHQ.com will know that over the last few years, you have even introduced new fantasy baseball games, uh, Quint Inning a few years ago, Roto 500, Roto 350, and you've also invented a format that essentially redrafts the league every month, which I think is a fantastic idea. But why do you think fantasy baseball needs all these new formats? You know, I think we need to keep up with the times, and, and one of the things that we need to come to terms with is the fact that we as a society, uh, we have shorter attention spans, we uh, need more immediate gratification, and, you know, although we might look at those as bad things, it's reality. That's, that's who we are now. That's what the internet is, has bred over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. And so that's why games like these daily games have, have just... Uh, skyrocketed in popularity. That's why fantasy football has become so popular. It's because that it feeds that that way we play the game, and baseball just doesn't. The the long six month season, uh, the the high maintenance aspect of playing this game just does not feed into the way we process information these days. And so I think we need to find different formats that can uh, basically work better with the way we think and that's that's why I'm, I'm looking for these new formats you mentioned the single night formats where you draft your team they play for one night and you win or you lose 
what chance is there? This this seems to me, Ron, to be getting very close to gambling because the amount of luck skyrockets and the amount of skill really is diminished. What chance is there that governments uh, in the U.S., possibly in Canada, look at this and say, "Wait a second, you know, we we granted you guys an exemption on the basis that this is more skill than luck, but these formats look like more luck than skill, and we're going to kibosh them." Yeah, I'm legitimately worried about that. And if you go to a lot of these sites that that offer the daily games, they have a lot of uh, uh, text and copy on the site to try to position themselves as being a skill-based game. I, you know, I, I worry about that. I think it's skill-based over a, a time period. You play the game, say, over a week or a month or, or over a full season, and over time, the skill will will emerge. But on a single night for a single group of games, I think it's way more luck than skill, um, and I think that's the thing that the government might key in on. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm personally worried. I'm trying to stay away from all that stuff. Uh, USA Today as a whole basically is staying away from the daily gaming for, for exactly that reason, because there's a huge gray area there, and I think uh, we need to be really careful. Yeah, when you say over over the long haul, the better player, the more skilled player is likelier to win, that's true of all professional gambling, really. I mean, the, there's a pretty good chance that, uh, you know, a pro-level poker player is going to out, outdo a uh, amateur poker player over a year, but that doesn't mean the government says it's okay to, to gamble on a night, or over a year for that matter. Yeah, you know, the litmus test that I actually use is I look at any type of, of game, uh, be it a, you know, a gambling game or a fantasy game, and I ask the question, if there was no money involved in this game, would you even be tempted to play it? <laughs> and, you know, for a lot of these games, you know, you wouldn't sit there. Who would play roulette if there was no money involved? No kidding. You know, and, and, and who would play a, a daily fantasy game if there was no money involved? And, you know, for, for a season-long fantasy game or a more longer time horizon fantasy game, there's a certain element of skill and challenge and stuff that makes it uh, interesting. And, and lots of leagues play for no money. But you take the money aspect away from it, and suddenly you're wondering whether this is a legitimate game or not. I wonder if you could have a format where you had a, uh, the competition took place on a nightly basis, so you'd have a winner, loser, or, you know, a first through 12th place, but then you aggregated every night's results for 180 nights, and that's how you declared your winner. Maybe that's how you get your, your long-run skill-based outcome. Sure, and, and that, I think, is, is a very different type of game, and, and certainly, as long as the payoff is not on a daily basis, uh, you could certainly get around it that way. You mentioned fantasy football and how important it's been in coloring how we all look at all fantasy sports. And I know you've been thinking for quite a while about how fantasy football directly affects fantasy baseball. But what are those effects and how do you see that connection? Well, the thing is, as fantasy football has gotten more popular, uh, major corporations, they retrofit their football models to baseball. And we never, as, as fantasy baseball, never get an opportunity to have something designed specifically for us. Um, you take a look at you know, ESPN. When they, with their first foray into a commissioner service several years back, they started with football. Then they retrofitted it to baseball, and the, res- the results were disastrous in the early going. Um, take a look at SiriusXM. When they launched their fantasy, uh, fantasy sports channel, they started with football. Then they came to baseball, and now football is so... Uh, overwhelming for their for their uh, their channels that uh, baseball basically goes away after the all-star break the content becomes purely football at a time of the season when baseball is becoming more interesting 
Uh, and, you know, even at USA Today, uh, they have a full page of fantasy football coverage uh, during uh, weekly during the, the football season. But baseball, uh, I've got my my 500-word uh, article every week that sometimes gets bumped, and that's the extent of the fantasy coverage, you know, even at baseball at uh, USA Today. So it's, it's the fact that baseball deserves to have uh, a more prominence given that this, this whole fantasy industry started with baseball, and I think it comes down to the fact that the game is so much more accessible for football, and we need to find a more accessible game for baseball. Well, let, let me play the devil's advocate here. As fantasy baseball players, the kind of people who listen to this show and subscribe to BaseballHQ.com, I don't play fantasy football, and I don't care what fantasy football is doing. I'm going to play fantasy baseball because I like it. And, and um, is, is the concern from a bit more from a business point of view that there's not going to be growth because young people are not going to be drawn into baseball? Because it seems like for the existing fantasy baseball player, th- this – Fantasy football influence doesn't really matter, except to the extent that they can't listen to Sirius XM, which doesn't seem like that big of a loss. Well, it, it does kind of matter because um, the the major media companies, which right now are running most of the, the big commissioner services and offering the games, are offering games that the, the serious fantasy baseball player is not really interested in. You know, when when the standard game at ESPN is is a ten team, twenty one man roster league. Yeah, most serious fantasy players look at that and think, well, that, that, that's ridiculous. That's a superstar league. I'm not going to play in that. But that's the standard there. And uh, as long as the, the, the mindset from fantasy football trying to find uh, an easier, more accessible game pervades its way into the way uh, fantasy baseball offerings are, 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 are offered, as it were, um, I think that, that it is going to have a huge impact, which is why I think – there's another format out there that can be just as challenging as the way we, we play it now, but maybe more accessible so that when all these fantasy football players come over to baseball, and, and that's where the growth is coming right now. The whole growth in baseball is coming from the football side. So when those fantasy football players come over and want a game that mimics their experience in fantasy football, there's something there that's good. That's not a, you know a 10-team mixed league. Uh, that you know, it's it's just antithetical to the way we've learned how to play this game, you know, twenty thirty years ago. So that's why I think it's important. A little while ago, Ron, you mentioned uh, that we have this new monthly salary cap format that you've been testing out. Uh, how does that work? I've been actually playing in a monthly game for the last uh, well two months this year and a few months last year, and I think it's just an absolutely wonderful game because the standings move uh, you know rather quickly and, and it's interesting to interesting to watch and play and uh, and at the end of the month you've got a winner so the last week of the month you know you have the same type of excitement and down to the wire uh, standings moving as, as you do uh, in September each year but you get to do it six times and you get to do six drafts. And um, although you can't um, assess skill over that shorter time horizon as you can over six months, the difference isn't all that much because uh, between injuries, and uh, which can be managed better on a monthly basis, and, and just general volatility, it's on a month-by-month basis, the good players are going to be good and the bad players are going to be bad, and overall your team is, is, is going to be assessed accurately. But, but the game that I'm designing basically for the for the um, for the short term is uh, is a monthly salary cap game uh, just to kind of give it a sense of see how this works where the um, the player salaries the prices are based on uh, performance to date 
So we're trying to do a test run in July, and uh, so, and everybody who's listening here is welcome to uh, to sign up for a team for this July test run that uh, I'll be announcing fairly shortly. And basically what it'll be, you'll, you'll have a roster that you'll have to fill with a $260 cap. The prices will be based upon performance to date through the end of June or thereabouts. And uh, you'll get to make moves twice a week, uh, Mondays and Fridays. So uh, your, your moves will be based on each individual series. So your weekend series versus your midweek series. And uh, we'll play it out as, as, as a regular rotisserie game. And at the end of the, the month, we'll have a winner. And uh, we'll see how that works. Uh, basically trying to work out some bugs and, and, and make sure it, it works well. And if it does, then we're going to launch it as on a new website as, as, um, as, a, as a competition that you can actually participate in over the course of uh, monthly during the 2014 season. You said we're going to launch it. Do you have partners in this, or are you using the Royal We? Uh, the Royal We, yeah. This is this is one of the new uh, ventures that I'm, I'm, I'm working on now that I've stepped down from running Baseball HQ. This new site hopefully will launch uh, sometime this summer, but this test run of this new league, uh, we're looking for a July, uh, a July league that we're going to try to run, and, and hopefully that will work, and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. I, like I said, I've been playing monthly leagues now for a while, and uh, – the whole dynamic is different, and it's it it's uh, it's just a lot of fun. I've really had a good time playing with these leagues. Everybody loves draft day, and it seems to me that if you had six draft days a year, that would be six times more fun than having one draft day a year. And and that's exactly part of the the, the argument here. It's uh, draft day. Everybody says is is the, the most fun part of playing this game, and you know <clears throat> it doesn't. You know if you have a, a basically a twenty three man roster. Uh, and you do a, a snake draft, it's basically getting a bunch of guys together online for two or three hours once a month, which doesn't seem like a, a really tough thing to do. And and you get to play individual uh, leagues for, for six months. It's not a lot of downside, really. And when you think about it, it's just changing your mindset from the way we've been used to doing things. And uh, with the goal of trying to make this game more accessible, I think that's one way that it works. And I can imagine once the game got out there and people started playing it, and if it got popular, people would start uh, tweaking the rules to suit things they like and don't like about the format. And uh, all of a sudden, it, it starts to develop the way rotisserie baseball did, where they started adding categories and so forth. And speaking of that, a week or so ago in your fanalytics column at BaseballHQ.com, you wrote that... If we're thinking about tweaking the game, instead of adding categories, as many leagues do, they go from 4x4 to 5x5 to 6x6. I've even heard of 12x12. You said we should be thinking about getting rid of categories, and you proposed 3x3. Yeah, and and again, it comes down to the idea of simplifying things. Uh, One of the things with the the current 5x5 format is that there's redundancy in the categories. You know, if you think about it, we're counting home runs four times when we're playing 5x5. You know, home runs themselves, runs, RBIs, batting average, all count home runs. Uh, So if, if we wanted to get down and just focus on those individual skills... I mean, we could say power, speed, and batting average are, are three key offensive uh, qualities. So home runs, stolen bases, batting average. And on the pitching side, a little bit more tricky. You know, you could do ERA, strikeouts, and, and some type of uh, category that addresses uh, relief pitchers, maybe saves plus holds or something like that. Um, but, you know, 
when you're managing your team, it gives you fewer levers that you need to be concerned about. And currently in the game we play now, you know, if, if I'm trying to trade for trade away speed, I have to worry about my runs category. Um, if, if I want to beef up in wins, then, you know, how is that going to affect ERA? And, and there's a lot of interrelationships there that are, that are very difficult to manage, but with fewer categories, it, you can do a straight speed for power trade, and it, it's a lot cleaner. And, you know, it's just something to think about in, in ways to simplify the game and, and make it a little bit easier to play. And, you know, a lot of people say, why do you try to make it easier to play? <clears throat> and my argument for that is that there are so many variables and so much risk factors in the game today between the rising disabled list stays and PEDs and, and just volatility and the fickleness of, of the managerial decisions uh, we should try to gain as much control as we possibly can because there's enough there's enough risk as it is now, and I think reducing the the, the number of of um, decisions we have to make in our rosters is one of the ways to do that. You make an interesting point because we we talked earlier about how standard rotisserie or standard fantasy full year formats reward the skilled player over the lucky player, and perhaps because of the uh, increased amount of players who are going on the DL or underperforming or stuff, even the best prepared players being more and more subjected to the vagaries of luck. And uh, Gene McCaffrey said he always liked the salary cap format better than any other format because he wasn't so prone to luck. If he, if uh, Ryan Braun runs into a suspension or breaks his leg or something, he just replaces him and moves on. And, and uh, maybe some of these simplifications that you're talking about somewhat paradoxically are actually making the game more skilled rather than less. <laughs> That's interesting, but and it's funny because I agree with Gene. I, I as as I get older and start playing these games more often, I'm, I'm starting to lean a little bit more towards the salary cap format as well, uh, for for several reasons, including what Gene mentions. Uh, I, I think the the fact that it gives you access to every player that you 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 know potential access to any player you want. Uh, as long as you stay under the cap, is, is, is desirable. And a lot of the interactions in, in, involved in snake drafts and auction leagues, um, those dynamics kind of get old after a while. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree with what you say, and uh, I think it's a great format that we should be looking at. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio, Patrick Davitt, with Ron Chandler from BaseballHQ.com. And, Ron, uh, we've been asking all our expert guests this season to tell us about various storylines and player performances and to decide whether they're facts or flukes. And, yes, I stole the name from First Pitch Arizona, and I'm proud to have done so. Uh, uh, let's start with some overperforming hitters. Uh, Everth Cabrera of San Diego was widely seen going into this season as a decent bet for stolen bases, but not a lot else. And now here he is. He's among the league leaders with 230 at-bats and his 24 stolen bases, which we expected prorates to nearly 60 for the season. Everett Cabrera is also contributing in other areas. A fact or a fluke? Uh, I think he's a fact, actually. I mean, this is his age 26 season. Uh, he had a big jump. He's having a big jump this year in contact rate, which I think is the key uh, difference. He's up to like 80%, 81% now, up from last year was like 70 72%, which, I mean, that that that's huge, but I think it's, it's somewhat sustainable. The only thing that I think is not... Uh, his, his home run to fly ball rate is a little bit high now, so I think that's the only thing that's out of the ordinary. But uh, overall, I mean, for an age 26 guy, I think um, he's for real. Now, that said, he's on the list of one of those guys with the biogenesis, so we have to be a little bit careful with that. 
And how about Dominic Brown of the Phils? 18 home runs, closing in on 50 RBIs. He's got a 284 batting average and four bags. We've been waiting for the breakout. Is it a fact or a fluke? Yeah, Brown has had a ridiculous run over the last week or so, but it's not like he hadn't been on our radar already. We were kind of waiting for this to happen. It's just that this this group of home runs was compressed over such a short period of time that it's it's we've taken notice. I think the thing you do need to note though is that his walk rate has dropped from ten percent to five percent this year, which means he's a little bit more aggressive at the plate, and that's a good thing, and we can see what that's yielded. But at at a home run to fly ball rate of thirty percent, that's likely gonna come down. So overall I say he's a fact, not quite at the level we're seeing certainly over the last week or so, but uh he's for real. Ron, I paid $19 for Brandon Phillips in the Tout Mixed Draft, and I wondered about it at the time, but here he is at $23 among the league leaders in RBI. What do you think, Brandon Phillips, fact or fluke? The thing with Phillips is that if you take a look, he's mostly been batting cleanup this year. And with Sinshu Chu at, at the leadoff spot with an OBP over 400, this is the first time since he's had a legitimate leadoff hitter in a long time. And Votto batting before Phillips, uh, I mean, Shu has 42 runs scored. Votto has 47 runs scored. So it's not surprising at all that Phillips has 45 RBIs so far uh, batting from the cleanup spot. So as long as he's still batting there, uh, you have to think he's going to be able to put up the ribbies. Now let's look at some hitters who are underperforming, Ron. Some experts thought this was a good year to gamble on Chicago White Sox shortstop Alexei Ramirez. Now here he is. Uh, We're going into June. He's got 10 stolen bases, which is terrific, but only one home run and 10 RBIs. Is this power-free season a fact or a fluke? Well, Ramirez only had nine home runs last year, and uh, even though he only has one this year, nine is still well within reach. It's not the double-digit levels we were uh, used to, but, you know, he's 31 years old. Um, you know, it's it's possible that players out of Cuba might age a little bit differently, so um, I'm going to say that this is a fact. Billy Butler of the Royals was a popular choice to have another growth season after last year's fine effort. Instead, so far, five homers, 31 RBIs, not so bad, but only a two fifty five average. Billy Butler's low average, a fact or a fluke? The interesting about, thing about Butler is that despite these struggles, his on-base percentage is virtually flat from previous years. So what that means is this year his, his walk rate has, has doubled while his batting average has tanked. He just needs to start swinging at more pitches, I guess, maybe a little bit more aggressive at the plate. Uh, but all other his, all the rest of his peripherals are pretty much comparable to previous years, so uh, I'm going to call this a fluke. Joe Maurer of the Twins, a perennial $20 catcher. This year so far, worth about 5 bucks. Five home runs, 18 RBIs, nice three thirty-two batting average. But is Joe Maurer's $5 season so far a fact or a fluke? I think Maurer is doing what we pretty much expect him to do. But there's one trend that's concerning for me with him. If you take a look over the last four years, his contact rate, it's gone from 90% to 87 to 84%. And this year it's down to 76%. Now, he's 30-year-old. He's, you know, maybe the catching is starting to get to him a little bit. Maybe it's time to move him out from behind the plate permanently uh, and to preserve his offensive value. But uh, for right now, what he's doing, I'd consider it a fact. Let's move to some overperforming pitchers. The best roto dollar production for five by five in Major League Baseball is Clay Buchholz of Boston. Eight wins, a one sixty two ERA, one oh two whip, and seventy seven strikeouts in seventy seven and two thirds innings. That is getting the job done, Ron Chandler, but is it a fact or a fluke? Now, one of the things I think we forget with Buchholz is that he was the best pitching prospect 
coming into the 2008 season. And, and although his career has kind of been up or down, the skill levels he, he displayed over the first few years were pretty pretty stable. It, it really didn't jump much. This year, it's a sharp departure. His, his strikeout rate's gone from 6 per 9 innings to 9 per 9 innings. His base performance value has jumped from the 50s to about 100. Um, so I'm not sure how sustainable this is, given that he had set the, the baseline for his, his uh his skill previously, but one thing I do know with a, a, a hit rate of 26%, that's a 260 BABIP, and a strand rate of 84%, there is going to be some regression on the numbers he's putting up there now. So I'm going to say this is a fluke. Going into 2013 run, we would have expected that a Tigers pitcher would be top five in strikeouts, but we would have thought it would be Justin Verlander or Max Scherzer. We did probably not think it would be Annabelle Sanchez, but here he is, a $22 year so far, six wins, a 265-109 line, and 98 strikeouts in just 78 innings. Annabelle Sanchez, a fact or a fluke? You know, I've liked Sanchez for a while, and I've enjoyed watching. He used to be a whip killer, and I've enjoyed watching that whip level come down every every year over the last few years. And I think this season is in line with the skills progression of his career. You know, at age 29, this might be more or less sustainable. But he's gotten off to such a strong start now, I expect a little bit of tailing off, but I'll call him a fact. And how about Travis Wood of the Cubs? He's tied for 21st overall, $16 in 5x5 value. Five wins, a 275-101 with 50 strikeouts in 72 innings. Not that great. Not a lot of strikeouts for such a gaudy ERA. So is this a fact or a fluke? I think the only thing you need to know about Travis Wood is that his expected ERA is 424. So there's regression going to be in there. He's clearly a fluke. Also a 45% fly ball rate for Wood, which doesn't exactly look like a harbinger of great ERA things to come. Let's close with some underperforming pitchers, Ron. Uh, Chris Medlin came out of no place to mount a great season last year. Now he seems headed back to no place with a $2 year so far, 314-133, two wins and 54 strikeouts in 71 innings. Is this a fact or a fluke? I don't know with Medlin. We've never really seen what he would do over a full season of play in a rotation. Uh, So I think we're seeing some pullback in his peripherals, certainly from last year, which were extraordinary. Um, This may or may not last a good part of the season, but but we've seen that he does have better skills. It's a better skills profile. So I think he will eventually bounce back. The question is, will it be this year or will it not be until next year? I think what he's doing now is a bit of a fluke, though. Ron, I might be tipping my hand here, but C.J. Wilson of the Angels has an 8.7 strikeout per nine inning dominance rate, a 2.3 strikeouts to walk command rate, and a 45% ground ball rate. It all adds up to a 78 base performance value, which is a terrific score, yet he's a $2 pitcher with a four-win, 393-140 line. Is this a fact or a fluke? Yeah, Wilson's numbers overall are pretty darn close to what he did last year when he was a $3 pitcher, so uh, I think this is clearly a fact. All right, Ron Chandler, as we wrap up the segment, remind our listeners how they can keep up with you and what you're thinking. Uh, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, my uh, Fanalytics column every Friday at uh, at BaseballHQ.com. Uh, this week I'm going to do a review of Matthew Berry's new book, uh, which I, it's a very interesting read. You should check that out. Uh, I do my... Uh, weekly column in USA Today, as well as the chats every other week. Um, And uh, you'll still find me in the baseball forecaster and uh, at the first pitch forums. Do you have a website or Twitter account that listeners can follow? Yeah, my Twitter feed is uh, at Ron Chandler. 
uh, at R-O-N-S-H-A-N-D-L-E-R. And uh, my personal website is ronshandler.com. Uh, and you can go there and join my mailing list to uh, get regular or s- sort of semi-regular updates on what's going on in, uh, uh, with my new ventures. That, uh, information about the new website that will be launching this summer will be uh, at ronshandler.com as well. You can check it out. You're not doing master notes here on the podcast every week, but we'll still be hearing from you as part of the rotation, right? Yes, I'm on deck to do uh, Master Notes next week, so I'll be back next week with that. All right, Ron Chandler, thanks very much for doing this. I hope we can catch up with you again at least once more during the year, and you can bring us up to date on all your activities. Yeah, it's it's been great being on again, Patrick. Uh, thanks, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Ron Chandler is the founder of the Baseball Forecaster Annual Guide and BaseballHQ.com. Our regular commentaries are next. This is Baseball HQ Radio. 1-1 pitch. He popped him up. He's going to get it. Rochus down from third. Rochus makes the catch. Ball game over. A perfect game. A perfect game for David Cohn. The third time works like a charm. It is the third perfect game in Yankee Stadium history. Baseball HQ Radio. And welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick David. Time now for our regular weekly commentaries. Ryan Bloomfield is on deck with HQ Matchups. BaseballHQ.com writer and director of games analysis Dave Adler is in the hole with Master Notes and leading off the Minor League Minute. BaseballHQ.com minor league expert Rob Gordon telling us about Detroit outfield prospect Nick Castellanos. Coming into the spring, there was talk that the Tigers starting left field job was open and that their top prospect, Nick Castellanos, would be given a serious look despite having limited experience at Double A. Castellanos was a bit overmatched this spring, but instead of sending him back to Double A, the Tigers opted to have him start the year at Triple A Toledo. Castellanos got off to a very slow start with the Mud Hens, but has been red hot of late, and on the year, the 21 year old outfielder is now hitting 286 with a 358 on base percentage and a 479 slugging percentage. He has 17 doubles, 9 home runs, and has already drawn 28 walks. The Tigers have had a number of players see action in left field already this year, and they have all played reasonably well, but none have the long-term potential of Castellanos. He has good bat speed, makes consistent contact, and is showing improved power. Castellanos now has a career 311 batting average and is one of the better pure hitters in the minors. However, he's young for this level, so don't look for him to light things up right when he gets to Detroit. Still, for those who can afford to be patient, Nick Castellanos is a definite keeper. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ Minor League Analyst Rob Corden. Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. All season long, Rob Gordon, Jeremy Deloney, Colby Garropy, and Chris Maloney have reports and updates on the top prospects, organizational moves, daily call-ups, the draft, of course, and everything you need to keep tabs on the rising stars. Baseball HQ's call-up reports this week looked at Dodgers outfield Yaziel Puig, Texas first base prospect Chris McGinnis, Milwaukee right-hander Tyler Thornburg, and many others. And there's a minor league watch list highlighting less heralded prospects who have a path to the majors. This week looking at Royals infielder Christian Colon, Milwaukee first baseman Hunter Morris, White Sox right-hander Eric Johnson, and more. If you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your leagues, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now let's move to HQ matchups, looking at individual pitcher skills for upcoming games and how certain pitchers match up against the opposing lineups. The scale in this report runs from 5, which is a must-start, to minus 5, 
which is a must-sit. With the skinny on games for the coming week, here's Ryan Bloomfield looking at Annabelle Sanchez against Cleveland and Clayton Richard at Coors Field. Annabelle Sanchez has a well-deserved 3.56 matchup rating from the starting pitching report. He's been on an absolute tear of late with a 173 base performance value, or BPV, over the last month. This is the highest number among starters over that time frame. Sanchez has struck out 8 or more batters in 9 of his 12 starts this season to go along with a very nice walk rate. These skills are indicating a sub-3 ERA is possible if he can keep it up. Sanchez will get a tough Cleveland lineup this Sunday, but skills like these should be active regardless. Hisashi Iwakuma gets one of the best matchup ratings on Monday, a 3.33 against Houston, meaning he should be active in any league. Iwakuma struck out 11 in his only start against Houston back in April. He's displayed pinpoint control this year, as well as an 8.0 strikeouts per 9 innings. With quality starts in 11 of his 13 outings and an expected ERA just a tick over 3, Iwakuma is a fine choice both in this matchup and moving forward. Clayton Richard brings an 8.38 ERA into Sunday's matchup with the Rockies at Coors Field. He has exactly the same number of walks, 20, as strikeouts through 39 innings this year. Ironically, his best performance of the season was against Colorado, where he tossed six shutout innings, but that was at Petco. You shouldn't expect a repeat this time around. And finally, Luis Mendoza is one to avoid as well, even though he does have a 3.55 ERA over the last month, but much of that can be attributed to some lucky hit and strand rates, so expect that number to regress pretty soon. His 1.5 strikeout-to-walk rate and 4.68 expected ERA indicate his skills aren't quite there. He'll get Houston at home on Sunday with a negative .83 matchup rating, saying he should be used in only the deepest of leagues. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ryan Bloomfield with Baseball HQ. Attention daily streaming league and salary cap gamers, Ryan Bloomfield and Brian Brickley do comprehensive starting pitcher matchup reports every day at BaseballHQ.com. Now it's Master Notes with BaseballHQ.com writer and director of games analysis Dave Adler talking this week about sticking with the Roto 500 format. Contrary to popular belief, the rules of rotisserie baseball were not written on stone tablets and brought down from Mount Sinai. Three years ago, Ron Chandler heretically questioned some of the basic tenets of the game, penned more than three decades ago. Thou shalt populate your team through a draft or auction. Why choose? Why not do both at once? Thou shalt have a salary cap of $260 when drafting. Why that number? Why not 300 400 even $500? Thou shalt have a free agent acquisition budget of $100 above and beyond the salary cap. Thou shalt use WIP to judge the quality of your pitchers. Seriously? Had anyone even heard of WIP before the early 1980s? Ron combined a few of these ideas into a new gaming format called Roto 500. The stat categories are a modified 4x4 system. On base percentage, home runs, stolen bases, and runs produced, which is runs plus RBIs minus home runs for offense, with wins, ERA, strikeouts, and saves plus holds for pitchers. Rota 500 is designed to use a single currency for valuing and acquiring players. Each team has a $500 budget to spend at the draft, the remainder of which is set aside for acquiring players during the year. 
Each player is assigned a list price at the draft that is an average of their values from the past two years. Players who consistently perform at the top of their game for the past two years were costly to acquire. Miguel Cabrera, $42. Ryan Braun, 44 Justin Verlander, 40 As a side effect from the way player salaries are defined, players can be bargains if they miss significant amounts of time or underperformed over the past two years. An example, Steven Strasburg, who missed most of 2011 recovering from Tommy John surgery. This made him a $9 player heading into 2013. In the same way, since Bryce Harper didn't play in 2011, his price was assigned to be $14 going into 2013. Owners can put in an auction call for a drafted player nominated by another owner if they want to acquire that player for more than the list price. The auction calls were fun and made the draft a lively event. They completely defined draft preparation and the auction process. Let me explain. With the auction calls, the draft process was a cat and mouse game. Have a bargain player you'd like to have on your squad? Good luck getting him past the auction process. He's likely to incite a bidding war. Want a stud player? Other owners will bid on him, even if he's overvalued, simply to ensure that they use their auction calls before they expire. A strategy used by this owner was to draft players overvalued by 5 to $10, simply to conserve auction calls for other desirable players. This strategy helped me put together a strong team that won the league in year one. Rota 500 has undergone some tweaks in its three-year existence. The main change going into 2013 was to eliminate the auction calls to make it easier to hold the draft. With auction calls, everyone needs to be in the same room, or at least to have phone access, to allow the bidding to occur. Without them, a draft could be held online or through email. This change was a double-edged sword. The elimination of the auction calls made the commissioner's life easier and allowed the draft to go forward in a straightforward manner. But without the auction calls, the draft became a matter of drafting studs, or bargain players, in the early going. No fear of being outbid and losing your first or second round draft pick. No chance to create an offensive juggernaut by rostering both Braun and Cabrera, simply by paying the extremely high price it would cost to get them both. Even with the lack of auction calls in 2013, things did not proceed like a normal snake draft. The first pick... Giancarlo Stanton, of course, due to the fact that he was assigned a $15 value. Super stud Mike Trout? Thoughts of regression and a $30 salary made him slide to 8th overall. While offensive studs still went early despite their price, Cabrera went 2nd, Braun 3rd. Some expensive pitchers did go late. Did Justin Verlander go in the 8th round of your league? I doubt it. So if you're getting tired of the usual rotisserie auction or snake draft, Get your buddies together and try the Roto 500 format next spring. I encourage you to get everyone together in the same room and try it with the auction calls. If that's not possible, give it a go without the auction calls. Each option adds some spice to the rotisserie experience and forces you to think outside the box for some new strategies. It is time to break those 30-year-old stone tablets and try something new. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Dave Adler. BaseballHQ.com writer and director of games analysis, Dave Adler, is a member of the Masternotes rotation at BaseballHQ.com and here at Baseball HQ Radio. You can get Masternotes delivered to your inbox every Friday with the free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. Of course, we have Masternotes here at Baseball HQ Radio every week. 
And that's Baseball HQ Radio for the week of June the 7th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 21 of the 2013 Fantasy Baseball season. You might have noticed some hammering and clattering. Well, renovations are underway here at Baseball HQ Radio headquarters, and I appreciate your patience. I also want to thank our guests today, starting with BaseballHQ.com founder Ron Chandler. It's going to be interesting to see what Ron gets up to as he proceeds in this new chapter of his life. I also want to thank our regular guests from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Our League Watch news analysts were Harold Nichols and Jock Thompson. Our HQ alternative commentator was Matt Beagle. Our HQ matchups commentator was Ryan Bloomfield. And our Master Notes commentator this week was BaseballHQ.com writer and director of games analysis, Dave Adler. Be sure to check out BaseballHQ.com now and in the coming days for these features. Pat DiCaprio will have a rotisserie gaming column asking if we really can buy low and sell high. Ray Murphy's speculator column, perhaps building on that, looks at candidates to sell low. And Ron Chandler's fanalytics column reviews Matthew Berry's new book, A Fantasy Life. And that's a free column. Plus, we have all our regular features on playing time, buyer's guides, divisional outlooks, pitcher matchups, and much more. I'm Patrick Davitt. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Remember, you can also check out Baseball HQ on Facebook and on our Twitter feed, at BaseballHQ. And feel free to join the literally more than 100 followers on my own personal Twitter feed, at Patrick Davitt. Also, please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and take a second to go to iTunes and add to our 4.8-star rating. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again next week with Joe Sheehan on another edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long. Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com, where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.